Welcome back. We're here with Clint Lash again, myself, Austin Brown, the host, and Cole Stump. Um, I guess they were both in the last podcast we did, but uh, today's is going to be more about Cole and what his life and life experience has brought to basically this table. And uh, we're just going to talk about what he's what he's done, where he's what he what he's doing now, and where he's going to go. So uh, we'll just start with tell us a little bit about yourself, Cole. Just kind of a generic thing, like where you grew up, what childhood was kind of like, and uh, what brought you to Bozeman. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. So, grew up in Cedar Edge, Colorado, a town of about 1,500 people uh, on the western side of the state. Um, I feel like childhood was fairly, fairly, you know, generic for, you know, rural, small town kid. You know, didn't grow up on a ranch, so, you know, like you two did, so don't quite have that same experience, but the whole, you know, High school sports involved in everything, you know, kind of small town doing, stuff. doing everything, yeah. everything yeah. possible just to stay busy kind of stuff uh, was pretty much pretty much how it went. So a lot of sports, a lot of hunting, a lot of fishing, you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't doing something school sports related, it was outside hunting, fishing, anything outdoors. Right. So what uh what kind of brought you into the agriculture world in the first place well i mean i was kind of a, i was i mean i was around it right, you right. Know, it was a small yeah. where i grew up was a small you know rural community agriculture maybe wasn't the biggest industry but it was top top you know one or two probably behind tourism yeah. so yeah any small town i think there's yeah. kind of a there's either a large section or a small section of that town's economy that's driven by agriculture yeah so it's uh and so I was, I mean, I grew up around it, right? right? You know, helping family, friends, you know, friends from church, you know, doing the, you know, branding calves in the spring and, and helping out, you know, when needed. Um, so kind of got involved in that, you know, did the little bit of FFA through high school. So kind of was involved in that aspect as well. Um, kind of, you know, always more not you know not directly involved but just kind of on the fringes of it probably be the best way to describe it you know? right just yeah it was always kind of there yeah 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 it makes sense um what brought you to montana i guess we'll go with that uh school so you know strictly it, school strictly school mm-hmm. and it was it's kind of a kind of an odd deal i didn't know anybody up here didn't have any family up here um I think I visited one time, probably like, I think my dad and I... To Bozeman or to... To Bozeman. Visited in like April and I started school in August. So, Hmm. it was the first... That's a pretty quick turnaround. First time up here and then it's like, I came to school, yeah. And so, yeah, the big driver was just, you know, my parents always encouraged me to, to, you know, look for something different, right? Yeah. You know, there's the little community college and small schools that are an hour away. And I could have, could have done that, but they, they were like, you know, go out and see something, go do something different. And so, you know, I started looking, looking out of state and Montana was kind of top of the list is, you know, place I'd never been, but 
it seemed like it had a lot of opportunities up there so went with that yeah know. i don't think it's a terrible place to be that's for sure no no um, and it was it wasn't too terribly hard to get accepted <laughs> to school here and so once like i got a, the once i got the green light from them i was like well you know what i'm not even gonna worry about looking at anywhere else i'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna give it my give it a go up in bozeman right yeah, I honestly don't know anyone that applied here that didn't get in. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think many people get turned away. I mean, I think, not really making any of us feel special about it. No, <laughs> no, it's. So that was that was kind of that's kind of a funny deal. But um, what uh, did you did you go up in a? I don't know. Did you grow up with religion very much? Yeah, yeah. So grew up Catholic, you know, from the day I was born. Yeah. Dad's family is Catholic. My mom converted. Goes way back. Yeah, and so yeah, born into that, you know, and it was never, never, you know, look, at, no looking back. It was, it was <laughs> like that's 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 what that's what the family does. So full embracement from the yep. beginning. Yep. Mm. And yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey. It's, you know, growing up and you're a little kid, it's like, ah, oh, Sunday we got to get up and go to church, you know? Yeah, it's more of a chore yeah. than anything. Yeah, it's like your one day where, you know, you don't have you don't have something going on, and you're like, oh, we got to get up at 8 a.m. for church. And you're <laughs> like, I don't want to, I don't want to. And definitely uh, just a chore at that point. And then, yeah, kind of once, once I moved away and, Especially coming to Bozeman, you know, unfamiliar town, new people, you don't know anybody. Yeah, it's almost like you were like, almost searching for just something to be a part of. Yeah, and it's that little bit of, you know, familiarity that there's comfort in that. Yeah. And so stuck with it and probably definitely, you know, went in cycles, you know. First little taste of freedom, you're like, oh, it's there as a familiar <laughs> thing, but, but you're like, I've got other things I want to do, so I'm not going to go to church on Sundays, but then... Once I've gotten a little older and now especially out of college, definitely involved, just involved more. So. Right. Yeah, I think you'd rather go to the Friday night churches rather than the Sunday morning churches. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And you're just getting <laughs> to college. But um, I guess we'll, we'll touch on that a little more. I was just trying to get a little background here. Um, what did you first study in Bozeman? So I, I came and started in fish and wildlife ecology and management. And so stuck with that the whole way, changed it, you know, changed up a little bit, um, really started getting into the <coughs> rangeland ecology courses and really liked those. What does, uh, what does ecology mean? Just, uh, basically the environment that, yeah, the study yeah. of ecosystems. Yeah. And so the fish and wildlife side was cool, you know, came in hot under the collar wanted to be a game warden <laughs> do that thing and then kind of got got going through it and you know it's you know especially through agr you know got into more of the agriculture side of things got into the animal and range science department and taking rangeland ecology courses and definitely was more interested by that um that of course came late in my college career so you know switching completely would have put me uh, you, you know, probably a semester, semester behind. And so rather than, rather than doing that and taking an extra semester, I just added a rangeland ecology minor and did both. So 
it worked out great. Was able to take most mostly range classes because they counted both ways. So kind of got to pick the classes I wanted to take, and you know my professors and advisors were pretty good about substituting stuff out and making them count both ways. So ended up graduating with a degree in both fish and wildlife ecology and rangeland ecology. Sick. That's that's pretty good. Um, how did you how did you get to be a part of AGR? Because I mean that's where I kind of first met you, and that's where yeah, that it, I think Clint first met you too, probably. Oh yeah, it it I was kind of just a I don't know random deal, <laughs> you know. The when I started, you know, started school in August, I knew I knew two people, and the only two that I you know remembered and kept in touch with from the orientation, and the the one guy Colton he was he knew about it because he had an older sister that had gone here and she had you know known some of them partied at the house you know knew the guys and told him about it told him to check it out and since you know kind of by default he was he was the one of two people i knew and that was something that he knew about and was looking into and so kind of got drug along by him to to go to go find it so our go be a part of it yeah, our first little escapade, you know, orientation or whatever. Or maybe maybe it was, yeah, it, or no, it was during, yeah, summer orientation. He knew about it, and so we snuck out of the dorms and going to go try to find it and party. And it's, you know, dark in Bozeman, and we've never been here before, and just wandering, wandering all over, trying to find it. And, of course. Yep. Oh, yeah, he's got the snap maps pulled up, and he's, like, trying to locate it, and we don't know the address, and, <laughs> um, he's, you know, he had an idea, and he thought it was over here, and, yeah, we ended up just lost, just, you know, kind of east of campus there, and just wandering around residential areas, you know. <laughs> Finally, you know, after about an hour, called it. We're like, this is dumb. We made our way back to the to the dorms, but, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was the first, you know, little taste was trying to find it and we didn't even succeed and then after that once you know school started and you know they started doing the barbecues in the afternoons and whatnot you know going over and meeting people that's that's how i got got involved got sucked into the hole yep yeah yep yeah we've all been there um what uh what was what was your favorite parts about it I think I think like you know the the big thing is just the camaraderie. Yeah. You know it was easy easy for me to you know find a group of guys who you know pretty similar to myself, and you just you know you just kind of mesh with it, and you know you kind of got the same ideologies, same likes and interests, um, and so it's it's easy just to to become a part of that group, um, and so you know especially in my situation coming up here not knowing anybody having uh the camaraderie in that group and you know from that then you know comes the the networking side of things that was probably huge yeah yeah i would agree completely with that um networking was a big one for me as well i i wasn't great at networking skills so it, it uh clint really put me into the fire with no shoes on so it was uh <laughs> it was a great learning curve um what do you think was the one of the i guess one if not few things that you learned from the house that made you 
I don't know, more aware of, I guess I'd say, yourself and the world and just people in general? Shoot, that's a good question. I think one of the biggest things that I, you know, took away was just to, to put yourself out there. Yeah. You know, I think maybe that's, you know, personal growth-wise, that's probably the biggest biggest thing was a pretty shy, quiet guy going in and, you know, kind of get those barriers broke down forcefully and, you, you know, forced to come out of your cell a little bit but you know i think that's that's helped in the long run um kind of being more more sociable you know right better at approaching people situations whatever it may be so yeah just just i think willing to just pretty much be okay with anything that happens yeah yeah just go with the flow because you don't really know what's coming at any point you definitely get desensitized everything oh yeah there's a big hairy man in a robe gonna come cuddle with you like you gotta get over most things yeah huh so you graduated from bozeman and then you went to where so right after graduation um myself and a buddy we went down to rollins wyoming got you know, both had range degrees and got temporary jobs down there working for a their you know reclamation company so they do a lot of like weed spraying and reclamation of like oil sites like mm-hmm. you know down in kind of that Rollins Wamsutter area so we did that and it sounded good on paper it was it was not a glamorous job it's down in the middle of nowhere spraying weeds um, you know, it was, you know, it wasn't a bad experience. I think, you know, I left, I left a pretty good job on a ranch in Wilsall to go down there. And I think if I had to do it again, I would have just stayed in Wilsall yeah. and, and stuck that out for a little longer. Uh, you had a ranch hand down there? Yeah. And who was the ranch? It was the four diamond ranch. Oh, okay. So hmm. I don't oh. know. They had a great manager. It was a good place to work for. Big operation or was it? Yeah. Decent size. I would assume if they had a ranch size, manager, they, I would assume they're kind of. Yeah, it was an absentee owner deal, and but I think they were running about 650 mother cows, and then the grass finished what everything. breed? They were all just commercial Angus. The grass finished everything, though, and so they retained retain those calves till they were, I think they were like coming threes. Yeah. And they'd ship them in little, little bunches all summer right. as grass finished, and so spent all winter up there just feeding those those calves that were the whole, the ones from that spring and then the two-year-olds that were going to be shipped out the following summer so it was a good deal it was a good outfit it was well ran and i enjoyed it up there but yeah i'm sure that kept you busy yeah yeah pretty much would leave leave bozeman friday afternoon and not come back till sunday evening <laughs> and how far is will saw from here it was like 45 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. So, not bad. Not bad. Usually Where had I think it was decent longer. roads. But I don't know. Yeah, just kind of huh. kind of escape, you know, a little stayed right. in the they had, had a little like apartment attached to the calving barn. Yeah. Stayed in there. No <laughs> cell service. <laughs> for the I mean I think the last 2 weeks I was there they put Wi-Fi in. But the the rest of the time there was no Wi-Fi. So it's just a, it was a nice little disconnect. Right. You go up there, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to help on this group project. And so it's like, 
you get your part done beforehand and then you go up there I and worry think of that yeah what about all the projects you had to yeah. do with all your people that was huh kind of a nice little break got into did a lot of reading not a huge, huge yeah i'm sure reader, that made you prioritize what you were going to do during the week yeah because you were going to be gone all weekend with nothing so it was yeah definitely definitely helped with with time management and yeah just a nice little little break from the technology you know it's <laughs> easy to get sucked into the social media and stuff and i'm definitely terrible at it <laughs> and so <laughs> forced your hand you know, then you just sit there and you you read and just don't worry about some of that stuff so right it was a cool deal i enjoyed it up there pretty spot but yeah huh. then where'd it. we go so yeah there so we started there graduated went to rollins from rollins just kind of bounced around for a couple months. It was a, I wouldn't say stressful, but I just got antsy, kind of cooped up. So I spent, you know, went home. My dad had some health issues, so I went back and kind of just helped out around the house. And he was, he was laid up in the hospital for a while, and then took a while to recover. So spent some time back home helping out. Spent some time on my brother's couch in Laramie. Um, went to my grandparents' house. I think at that point it was November. Spent all of November out there. So hmm. kind of just bounced around and <laughs> then just did random stuff. Kind of helped couch out. Couch surfing? Yeah, for the most part. So wasn't a bad deal, though. It was good to get out to uh, my grandparents live in Iowa. And so my gr- grandpa raises white-tailed deer. And like exotic sheep and so what does exotic sheep mean they're I, I don't know they're like marco polo uh uralls and there's a third species they're cross right yeah and so they get like these little bodies with huge horns <laughs> and people hunt them right they go down to texas to these big high fence farms and people pay to pay to go hunt these sheep because they they they're like all white like a like a doll sheep right. but then they get the big wide horns like a marco polo and they get the body size from the marco polo sheep and so yeah just this little niche market where they're you know they're exotic so in iowa the, the white-tailed deer is really regulated and that's what he started out with was raising these white-tailed deer for the same thing mm-hmm. they send them down to these shooter farms in texas oklahoma and whatnot and guys pay big money to go shoot these just ridiculous deer right and the regulations have kind of gotten so strict that they were looking for something else so that's how they got into these sheep but what kind of regulations do you put on a deer farmer so the big ones uh cwd chronic wasting Uh disease um and trying just to mitigate the spread of that and so yeah there's all kind of regulations they can't if there's so you know it's like if there's traces in this county that you can't ship deer out of that county kind of stuff and so kind of thing where it's like you know if if one of your deer tests positive they're going to kill your whole deer herd Mm. um and so you know regulations like that got to the point where it's like you know some people um you know it's like well you're going to lose everything you get your whole you know if you have one one wild deer bring you know touch noses through the fence with one of your pen raised deer and gives it cwd now your whole entire deer herd is going to get euthanized by the state so 
like grandpa was trying to diversify mm-hmm. i've only heard of people testing for cwd on a deceased deer can you test them on like live farm deer is there I a way of testing I know we did blood tests on some stuff, but I don't remember if it was CWD, but I know all the dead deer have to get CWD tested. Yeah. I don't think you can live test because they've got a, like, it's the, not the brain stem, but something that yeah, they have to harvest like to get test. And I, you can't, I don't think you can do it on live deer, but I know he's got to get all his, all his dead deer hmm. tested. So. That's kind of a cool operation though. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. Made it out there. Farming out sheep and deer. It's yeah was there and helped out there the main reason i went out was they were they ai everything but it's all laparoscopic and so <laughs> went out there for that and got to got to look through the scopes and see everything while the vet was they what is that like how they do sheep where it's yeah like almost a yeah, they, i mean they use yeah. the same same table that they ai sheep on for the deer they're similar enough size that ai and deer huh yep yeah it was quite the process yeah you run them through the shoot and you give them the vaccine to knock them out, <laughs> to leave them in the alley as they pass out, and then carry them in there, blindfold them, and carry them in by their legs. And they just hang upside down on that little dolly <laughs> thing that they, you know, like they use for sheep. And the vet just sits there and shaves them, makes two incisions, and goes in with his scopes. And hmm. I've never been a part of that process. It's kind of neat, pretty neat. It's a cool deal how they do it. How long it. does it take? A couple minutes? Yeah, they're not they're not in there long. Yeah. I mean they the whole the whole day took a while. Right. Because you know, Any, just like just like AI, anything, it's yeah. you know, they're they're figuring out, you know, where the what what bucks these straws of semen come from right. and what, what doves they're going to and that whole process takes time. But yeah, the vet's not in there in there for terribly long do they inject it right by behind the cervix or do they put them in like the fallopian tubes or do you know where they i i mean they're they're putting them like yeah like in the uh, you know ovaries fallopian tubes i don't know yeah. what structure they're exactly going into but it, right in there you yeah because like on cows you deposit it right after the cervix and then it has a chance to go in both tubes yeah right in but if you're doing forms. surgery i figured you could put that wherever you want it pretty much so we need a sheep guy to come in yeah. and explain this insemination process <laughs> I need for to us. Text Healy. Helly. Helly. Yeah. Sorry. Helly. Weston. Yeah. yeah. I need to get a hold of him. Then Our celebrity guest, Wes Helly. We'll see if it happens. But after that, you went and worked for Pheasants Forever? Yeah. Yep. So I started, you know, left, left Iowa after Thanksgiving and then did the holidays and, you know, Christmas, New Year's in Colorado. Well, it really wasn't even New Year's because I, I moved from Cedar Edge to Hysham for this Pheasants Forever job, like December 28th and started January, 1st of January in Hysham. And so, yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. Wasn't necessarily the job I was looking for or thought I wanted, but was a great opportunity to use kind of both facets of my college education. So was a good deal what was uh what was your starting job description so for for that position i was the project lead kind of for this program called rcpp um what is that yeah well let me let me think it's the (laughs) 
Regional Conservation Partnership Program. No. I don't remember. It's been, well, it's been three months since I was there. I'm kind of, i am got my head stuffed full of horseshoe and stuff yeah, right I now. I forgot but you're unemployed. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, something. Partnership, conservation. The, I mean, the whole gist of the program was they took the set nine counties in southeast Montana and focusing on trying to seed back anything marginal farm ground re, you know revent um shoot i'm drawing the blank on this this word i'm regenerative thinking. no renovation renovation of like you know old hay fields pasture land or reseeding marginal farm ground back to perennial grasses just um both for you know pheasants upland bird as well as uh like grassland songbird habitat and so was trying to manage that kind of spearhead that project um it was a lot it was a lot it, was, it wasn't as popular in southeast montana I'm following sure not. following a couple bad droughts um mm-hmm. as they thought it would be <laughs> nobody nobody wanted to make the investment to to reseed to perennial grasses and so it was challenging but it was fun i enjoyed it enjoyed working with was that your region then those nine southeastern yeah that's kind of that's where that that's where the rcpp project was focused i was trying to do as much as i could down there was that the only counties it was on yeah yeah just those nine yeah. okay the one yeah there's there's a, there was another one in the state kind of up on the high line but i didn't didn't do anything with that and there's some more pheasants forever people running that project so yeah i was just focused on the southeast corner of the state so why is it that you have to plant pheasants is it because the habitat area is not big enough or the predators or why why do they have to subsidize the pheasant population in eastern montana well the state does that oh because because it was voted on oh um pheasants forever's stance on the pheasant planting and you know release is they're against it because it doesn't work um those pen race pheasants that are turned out into the wild if they if they survive two weeks it's a miracle you know they'll never make it winter and so you know they no matter what time you turn them out no they're they don't know how to they don't know how to be wild right oh right but i mean if you turn them out and early spring or something they wouldn't be able to acclimate themselves to the environment it's hard to say and that you know i don't think there's been any studies done i know that the what the state does though when they turn those out they're doing it for hunting recruitment and retention part of their r3 program yeah so they're turning them out in the fall for hunting season they're taking mature birds (laughs) putting them out so people can hunt and you know it's if it if so it gets it really it, doesn't even sound like a repopulation oh no no uh, that's you know that's situation. why they don't that's why they don't sur- you know they don't survive there right they've spent their whole life they've been you know matured <laughs> in pens or someone feeds them and you put them out in the wild and they're kind of you know they don't know what a predator is they're desensitized to a, to an ex- extent from people and they they just don't make it but i think that program might be ending i don't know it's been 
really up for debate i think they vote it vote on it what the board i think no no like state legislator okay legislation votes on it to allocate the money to fwp to do that but you know pheasants forever's whole stance is if you if you make better habitat the wild birds will do better and you won't you won't need to you know spend them i think the state spends a million dollars a year or something like that planting these you know raising these pheasants and releasing them yeah like well you're spending a million dollars on something that's you know maybe not working maybe yeah maybe what <laughs> you know who knows how many maybe maybe a handful make it through a winter and maybe raise a brood but you know if you put that million dollars into habitat and you have some wild pheasants that do a little better they're going to be better off at Surviving. raising a brood yeah. for the next year and increasing the population so I wonder what the number is for the hunting profits from that million dollars of birds released. See if they make $5 million from hunting. Like they're going to keep doing yeah, it. Yeah. It'd be interesting to, interesting to understand. It's the whole upland bird hunting thing has been new to me. Right. I didn't do a lot of it growing up and just like anything, you've got your, is there pe- not very many in Colorado? No, no, not where I grew up, but you know, like anything, you've got your extremes, right? You know, you got, you know, the kind of the guy from, you know, middle of nowhere, maybe eastern Montana, who state's going to put out some birds. Heck yeah, I'm going to walk out there and kick some up and shoot them. <laughs> and then you've got the purists who hate the fact that uh, these wild birds or these pen raised birds, they don't fly as good. They're, they're tame. They're too easy. Yeah. You know, it's too easy for the dogs. They want this challenge. And so they're, they're against it. But. Yeah, so I don't know if you're getting if you know by putting them out there you're getting more of those more recreational guys who if it wasn't for the state putting birds out on this wildlife management area, they weren't going to buy a pheasant tag and go out and hunt them for a day or two or however long. Um yeah, I just don't know. But I don't know that the state's getting the dedicated bird hunters. And maybe that's not their intention. You know, but really doesn't sound like they know what their intention is because i mean if they're just putting birds out and it i mean to a lot of ranchers like then farmers i think it started out as a repopulation type of thing like when they first like introduced the program to the eastern or southeastern counties of montana i think it came off as it was a repopulation program but then the way you put it it's just like they're putting it out to have better hunting seasons yeah yeah, I think I, I I mean that's what the st- I think the state's objective is is the hunting opportunities, right. um, and the, yeah, but pheasants forever is very much on the on the wavelength of you know making the habitat. That's the goal is to improve the habitat. You know because you improve the habitat for a pheasant. What uh, it, what are they? What is the process of improving the habitat? You just have to you know keep it there, right? They, right. You know they need undisturbed grassland for nesting. They need thermal cover in the winter, and they need food resources. So any way you can improve that altogether is ideal, but... What's Pheasants Forever's tactics on that? So to... Because I would assume they have kind of like a itinerary of how they kind of want to go about it. Yeah. And so, you you know, you kind of break it down, you know, the undisturbed grasslands, right? Right. You know, that's whether that's, you know, pasture that's grazed, 
or you know maybe some hay ground that you delay the harvest of the hay till after the primary nesting season Mm -hmm. you know just giving that grassland habitat so they can successfully raise a you know raise a brood and hatch some chicks um food plots is kind of the big one for providing that food resource um you know whether you just have a you know odds odd corner of a pivot that too hard yeah. to get into and you put some you know a food plot out there kind of deal or, or some kind of and then as far as thermal cover you know it's it's you know shelter belts cattails you know those kind of are hard to come by in eastern montana and places so the shelter belts is kind of what yeah kind of is a big one so does anyway. uh does pheasants forever um do they do they fund some of that cost to put that stuff up yeah and so that's yeah essentially that's what my position was was you know kind of managing the the contract so i was working in an nrcs office you know national resource conservation service and uh, you know kind of doing some of these projects through their programs that they have through farm bill dollars mm-hmm. and so similar to you know if you or your father went into nrcs and wanted to do a contract to improve you know whatever facet of your ranch you were looking for um i was in that office facilitating those contracts just kind of taking a different approach at it yeah and so whereas you know definitely trying to tie it tie it back into wildlife wildlife improvement and you know even the pheasant for you know i had kind of a unique situation doing that where it's like you had had pheasants forever projects for maybe people that didn't fit parameters of the nrcs and then doing nrcs projects as well um so yeah this is an interesting dynamic trying to kind of do both and manage both but the end goal is you know improving habitat right um was that pretty much all you worked on for pheasants forever was just that one role you had that was the big one that was the big one um tried to make you know split my time 50 50 between that and nrcs um definitely did some unique projects some you know things where you know a landowner calls me he's like i want what do i do to make my property better um and he wasn't you know they didn't want financial assistance they weren't looking for anything like that so i just went out there and said this is what you have this is you know, maybe an area you're lacking and this would be a way to improve it. Um, and just providing that technical assistance right. in that respect yeah. to whoever, whoever called or sent an email. <laughs> you were there, you showed up. Yep. Huh? What, uh, then, then I guess it sounds like we got looking into farrier school. Yeah. So I soon realized that everything that everybody said about small town eastern montana has been true <laughs> right <laughs> you and so you know especially what you know, were those things that people said there's there's not a lot going on <laughs> um and so as a as a 24 year old guy in a town of 300 people there's not there's not a lot going on. single too single yeah mm. and so you're in this little town there's not a lot going on and you know the the work schedule i was going off of was 40 hours in an office for the most part you know i I was able to get out and do field work but it was still it was still 40 hours a week pretty regularly and so 
I just had way too much idle time and <laughs> nothing going on. And so that's where the, the whole horseshoeing idea kind of came from was trying to find a way to, to fill that idle time where I could work for myself, kind of set my own schedule, you know, do my own thing. Um, and that's, that's what got the snowball rolling. How'd you choose Bozeman or to come back to Bozeman for a parish? Well, it was just the easiest. Just the easiest. I mean, it's closest it's, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Closest. You know, I knew I could, f- the living situation would work out. It's a good school. Yeah. Um, and so it just, it all just kind of lined up. Yeah. Um, 12 weeks, right? 12 weeks. Coming to a close. Is it deja vu coming back to school here? Or? I, to an extent. <laughs> I know I've I've know I've talked to, you know, maybe you or Clinton, definitely Clinton Tory, as we've gone downtown. It's like deja vu to, ex, to an extent. But then you go do the college things that, you know, you, you, used, did, to. you used to do. And you're like, man, this is just as fun as it once was. <laughs> You it's know, weird how that works you know, when you get a little older. Cl- closing down, you know, downtown Bozeman uh, at 2 a.m. It's just, it's just not at what it used to be. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd rather be in bed at, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock yeah. than out till 2. Um, but, yeah, definitely a little bit of deja vu as far as the, you know, the school routine. Right. Which, you know, didn't spend all four years doing it, so it wasn't too hard to get back <laughs> into that routine yeah. uh, studying and taking tests and reading textbooks so right what's the average day in a horseshoeing class look like so starting out like i don't know it's kind of it's kind of evolved as we've gone through um early on was hour in the classroom two hours in the classroom it was really heavy on anatomy um and then after that would be the rest of the day in the shop you know learning how to build horseshoes working on horses, whatever it may be. Um, now is, you know, it's, it's kind of springtime warming up. We're getting a lot busier in the shop. And so classroom time's kind of been reduced and spending just a lot more time working in the shop. And so now it's, you know, we're kind of up and running. It's, it's shoeing horses. It's fast and furious and just trying to, trying to keep up with everything. What, uh, what was the biggest learning curve so far? Shoot, I think I think for me it was probably probably anatomy, right? I didn't you know, I I don't have a ton of in-depth horse experience, right? right. You know, I've been put on a horse and say, you know, gather these cows and we're trailing them somewhere <laughs> and it's like, okay, I can do that. But as far as like in-depth, you know, knowledge of anatomy and anything like that pretty much starting at square one yeah and so that was probably the biggest learning curve you know the the shop work and the you know the physical side of things kind of just you know came naturally it wasn't it wasn't too hard it's you know it's it's swinging a hammer i think the hands-on stuff are pretty i mean it's pretty easy yeah kind of grew up in that environment so it's yeah it's not yeah it's not too not too bad definitely takes a while to get an eye for it yeah. it's it's you know it's unique because you know every horse foot's different right right so you do you do one do you, have to you measure think, every horse foot is that what you do or do you just kind of eyeball it a little bit and kind of for what we've been doing up to this point it's been measuring because right you 
we you know you trim it then you measure it then we'd be cutting bar stock and building horseshoes from bar stock right and so you need that measurement to know how much to cut yeah but now at this point you know kind of got horseshoes built up we have you kind of get an eye for it he's like you know maybe not per exact but you know roughly how big this foot's gonna be yeah and, and I bet so you do it for five ten years you'll be able to just crack one out and be oh yeah pretty damn close yeah. to what it needs to be so yeah that's what it, now we're not not measuring quite as much but still is there a is there a special tool you use to measure the a ruler just a ruler just huh? a ruler yeah <laughs> yeah pretty they make it pretty pretty simple it's you just measure the the widest part of the foot which is called the bridge and then you measure from the lateral heel to the toe huh so the outside you measure yeah the outside right. outside yeah. heel to the toe and add two inches to that and that's how much bar stock you cut so it's pretty simple then, yeah. i guess yeah. the math part anyways yeah not too bad what's it been like shaping the shoes oh that's tough yeah, that's <laughs> tough <laughs> so i know i've come in a couple of days you've been grinding on some youtube videos trying yeah. to figure it out but the shaping's the shaping's tough and it i think it all it all comes down to just getting an eye for it yeah and like once you and there's you know some I mean, almost like physics aspects to it to, you know, like, how is this going to react when I hit it? Like what, which way does it need to move and how do I get it to move that way? Right. Like that's been, you know, the tough part to figure out. And once you start getting an eye for seeing it, like, okay, I need to move it this way and I'm going to hit it this way and then this way to accomplish that. Like then it starts, starts, starts to make sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense yet. It still does it. Um, but maybe starting to get it figured out at least now to, to the point where it's like okay i know what i did wrong like i know what i need to do yeah now i just need to execute it and uh, you know sometimes the execution is not there <laughs> um and that hence the youtube videos for how to do this <laughs> but yeah yeah I'm, i would imagine the the what's it called well they call it it's not ironwork, but I mean it is ironwork. But it's uh, I think blacksmith is the go. easiest yeah. way to describe it. I think th that's probably a hard learning curve. Just yeah. learning how to how the metal's gonna like when you heat it up, how it's gonna bend back when it cools down, and mm -hmm. what way you need to hit it. And like you mentioned, it's yeah, it's got to be tough. Yeah, yeah, that's that's there's definitely truth to that. Is a lot more than just turn it red and hit it hard. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. There's a lot more to it. Little little things and. I feel like, you know, I keep picking things up, little things. And it's, I, sometimes it's like the simplest stuff. And you're like, oh my God, how did I not think of that? Like, that's so straightforward. Yeah, how did I miss it the last yeah. 900 mm -hmm. times I did this? But it's it's getting there. It's getting there. Slowly yeah. clicking. Yeah, I it's think just that's, take a lot of time. that's the one thing I learned with just, we did a lot of welding at our place, or I did growing up. And just learning how metals, like when you get done heating it and how either it's going to be stronger or frailer or it's going to bend weird or it's going to warp or it's going to look wonky. Yeah. Metal's a whole, it's, like, it's a weird world. It, it mm -hmm. does what it wants. Yeah. What it wants. But it, yeah. Yeah, so I have some sympathy for you. Well, good. So. I appreciate that because <laughs> I need it. <laughs> what, uh, 
what's your plan with the whole farrier so the 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 grand plan right now is to go back to Hysham. you know was able to work out a deal where i you know didn't keep my job i couldn't do like a sabbatical or leave but we'll be able to hopefully go back to the pheasants forever job right and then we'll start shoeing horses in around Hysham part-time and just see where it goes yeah you know you know coming in that was the plan right and that's the plan going out but just you know the little bit of time i've been into it i was like oh you know i don't totally suck at this yet you know <laughs> you know and it's, it's one thing to you know be new to it and like you know working through that learning curve but i feel like you know it's like you know quick right, right. if you suck at something yeah and i was like well i'm not I'm not terrible yeah. <laughs> and I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the potential's there now and I've realized the potential's there now to maybe take this full time in the future. But the plan for the moment Be is a side gig for now, side gig, yeah. do the pheasants forever stuff, full time shoe horses, you know, any other time the sun's up. So see where it ends up. Yeah. Just keep myself as physically busy as possible. So are just, you going to try and do just the Heisham area or just Eastern Montana or I don't know, wherever, I, I, it takes wherever, you? wherever, <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to, we'll start local, right. on, you know, yeah. Heisham mile city. Yeah. I get your name and out. then do that. and then branch out from there. But wherever, wherever the business takes me at this point, you know, it's, it's tough. Montana's a big state and everything's spread, so spread out that. You know, you're gonna do a lot of driving. Yeah. There's no, there's no way around that. Anyway, you go. But I don't think I'm not gonna. I don't. Th- I don't think I'm gonna try to restrict myself, right? As long as it's yeah. If it as long works, as it's it reasonable. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any business strategy for how you're gonna be different than other horseshoers? I'm gonna answer my phone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm gonna show up on time. <laughs> As that'll, often as possible. That'll get you a lot of customers. Yeah. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard is they you know people just just don't return calls. Don't show up. Don't show or show up late. It's like I understand life happens and you know, you might be thirty minutes late because of the person you're at before took thirty extra minutes. Um but just like not showing up at all, not getting not calling back. It's like I feel like that's a big complaint that I've heard. Um just about the industry in general and so i think starting off that's the plan uh you sh- sh- show that initiative early and i think that'd help get your get your name out there quicker um as far as like a marketing strategy i don't know what i'm gonna do yet <laughs> but facebook page yeah somewhere in there. yeah something something like that F- business cards in a in the vet clinics might not be a bad way to go. That's a good one too. Um, yeah, just kind of go go with that and see see what happens. Not a bad deal. No. Um, how long you plan on doing the pheasants forever? Because I, I I would assume probably not going to stay in Heisham forever. Yeah, I don't. But I don't. Got, I don't know. You don't have I don't any. Know. You're just going with the wind. I might. I might just. You know, be the most eligible bachelor in Hysham <laughs> for eternity. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, yeah, at this point, no real plans. Yeah, no real plans. You, you know, I'd, I'd like to stay in Montana. 
right. you know at this point got got a lot of friends up here a lot of connections you know so both socially and you know now professionally through different jobs and so it makes sense to stay up here yeah you know i would consider going back to colorado but probably not to cedar edge i'd probably if i do end up going back probably stay in that meeker craig kind of north central colorado northern colorado area right. um we've got some family land up there and so there might be an opportunity with that if i wanted you know at some point maybe start running some cows up there i could i could explore that um but for the for the time being call or montana we'll stay up there you know slowly figuring out areas i like areas that are cool um so you know yeah i think it's i think it's very hard to plan that far in the future yeah yeah if we're gonna be completely honest just make very vague plans (laughs) yeah hey still a mistake yeah i followed through yeah Mm -hmm. i mean that's a good one just generally stay in montana (laughs) yeah pretty much limitless there yeah well what uh so you did horseshoe in school now you're gonna go back to high school reapply for your job same job i assume yeah 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 i don't think they updated their job announcement to be honest it looked <laughs> pretty similar to the first time and so should be so there's light at the end of the tunnel you're saying yeah yeah should have the main part of the learning curve behind me so i should be able to to jump in and <laughs> jump in and get going pick up where you left off yep that's the plan i understand do you, do you have siblings yeah so i've got a so sister just two or one two yeah so i've got a I thought it was two younger brother who's a middle child and he's currently going to school at university of wyoming and then Laramie? My, yep then my sister is here she just started school at in bozeman and so doing that what what's your brother what are they both going to school for okay uh brother studying fisheries biology so so yeah kind of the i mean still in the agriculture world yeah and so he and i think and he's maybe doing a criminology minor now i don't know he changes his mind a lot he's leaning game warden route oh okay and so i was like criminology with yeah so i i you know he's kind of got a good good deal he's done his he's in the national guard so he's you know you come in with yeah it's looking to the national guard is kind of a good thing going to college like if you could do it in college there's not very much commitment either when you're in college and yeah yeah and then coming out you know to ha- you know he wants to be a game warden you have the biology degree and criminology minor and military experience it's it'd be set up pretty good for yeah. that um my sister she's a freshman so she changes her mind frequent frequently um so I think she's studying <laughs> ag ed right now or ag com, one of the two and switches back. But I, I, I keep telling her ag business, but she doesn't like economics. So it's like, okay, maybe not do that. Sure. But I think, I think she's probably going to end up doing the ag ed route teaching. Yeah. Um, she kind of, she went, went all in with the FFA was, you know, chapter president state officer in colorado you know did did the whole thing um and so i think she's kind of hooked on the ffa and agriculture and gonna do the probably do the teaching side of things right so 
Well, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Did your sister come up here because of you, or did she? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Following Big Bro's footsteps. Hard to say. <laughs> Hard to say. Yeah, I know that. Well, she was looking at. She, well, she had. She applied and got accepted to CSU, and then here as well. Right. And I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. I know she was doing her state officer stuff, and they had a bad deal at the dorm rooms there. The car got broken into. I was like, well, that'd be just enough for me to not go to and school MSUs there. MSUs or CSUs? CSUs. Oh, okay. And this was like during the summer, brand new dorm room really? facility. Yeah, someone stole stole all the study. And there's like three or four of them had all their stuff in this car and got broken into. I was like, that would be enough right there for me not to go to CSU. So it's maybe kind of that's part situation. of it. Yeah. Or wow. she's just here to skate on my coattails. You know, I <laughs> paved this nice road up here to Bozeman, and she's just going to come prancing down it. And There's definitely some rumors about Cole Stump still <laughs> floating around Bozeman. <laughs> yeah. Really? Hopefully she doesn't hear about them. Yeah. They're probably not good. <laughs> I haven't heard one. Good. We'll keep it that way. Well, I don't we know, know if I want to keep it that me. way. <laughs> I think we've all done some wild shit oh yeah at some point oh yeah hmm. no i know i'm sure she's <laughs> been to just about enough agr events whether it be you know formals or etiquette dinners that there's been stories that have got around and she's just nice enough not to let me know that she knows mm-hmm. so what a nice lady yeah well i think that kind of wraps up on what your future plans and plans right now are um what uh what kind of paranormal experiences do you have? I don't really I don't really have any. I know that in, in take one of this we we talked about the cow mutilations and that's just been one thing oh, that I Okay, so I I'm gonna expand on that before we blow right by it. Did you ever hear Seth Barkley had this happen to him? Really? Yep. Well we gotta we gotta talk about this though. Let's uh let's start with Cole. Cole, what's your cow mutilation stories? So, yeah. Never, like, I've seen pictures, right? But right. never, like, firsthand accounts. But one was up in Winifred. Uh, kind of a deal where I think, I don't know, whether there's, like, three bulls or something. And bulls, really? They found them. End of a, end of a, you know, just two-track dead-end dirt road. Uh, found like these found on these, the road or in the pasture or just the way by they, it? Or? You know, just in the pasture off this road and uh the way that it was you know the story went it was explained to me you know there's no tracks going in no tracks coming out they found these bulls that you know they had been dead a while but nothing had touched them uh you know genitals or whatever had been cut off eyeballs tongues removed you know weird stuff yeah just weird stuff that you know was you couldn't explain well the animals didn't do that or you know something else and you know the no tracks was kind of suspicious and then um it was here in bozeman for a nrcs training and we were doing this training on a on a property here south of town and um one of the guys at like the, in the valley yeah one of the guys at the training had worked on this place um and our buddy tanner actually had worked on this place as well and uh, done some fencing for him but he was telling us about a story that happened there where it's like i think it was like maybe like two heifers or something they'd found them in the 
you know, edge of this pasture and they were dead and, you know, reproductive organs removed, whatever, cut out. But the big thing that they were talking about on that one was there was no blood. Like, you know, you think for hacking on an animal and cutting it apart, there'd be blood. Well, they did not find a speck of blood around. And same kind of deal. No, no tracks, no, 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 just no like logical way to explain right. what happened. Just nothing, nothing made sense, you know? And for something to be dead for that long and, you know, the birds not picking on it, the coyotes aren't eating on it. It's just, just suspicious all around. So that'd be the, the two like paranormal things that are, you know, just weird, unexplainable things that I've been familiar with. Not really like first person experience, but just, yeah. you know, one story is interesting. Two is kind of a coincidence. You're like, hmm, I don't know. Something weird's going on. Anything but. after two is just like, okay, what is up? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what's Seth Barkley's? So when I went back for Lund's bull sale, I was talking with Angus, and he said, yeah, it was like, I'm probably going to butcher the story, but it was like like last summer or something. Uh, Seth just went out in the field, and one of his cows just like Cole said, eyes gouged out, tongue cut off, reproductive organs gone, and there was zero blood. Zero traction and out of everything. This was just out in the middle of Seth's pasture. Hmm. So it just, I, I mean, that's where all the details I got. It's just the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I think Angus said it was during a blood moon too, which makes it really weird. But Have you guys ever heard of an explanation for this? No. No. I've never heard anything either. And, you know, I'd be more skeptical, right, if it was like, you know, people on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about (laughs) this. But the people who are telling these stories. They have talked about it on there, too. They're just like down to earth, right? They're like, you know, not crazy conspiracy theorist type. You know, it's just like, I'm just just here doing my thing, just trying to make a living and (laughs) explaining this to you. It's like, well, that's, I mean, it's weird, wild kind of thing where it's like, you know, you know, you, there's no like real rational explanation. Yeah, most people are very embarrassed to talk about it. Oh yeah, it's, it's like pretty hush hush. Yeah, and they're kind of embarrassed that one of their cows died, so they don't want to talk about it. But I can't think of a single thing that would do that. What are those Walker people called? They're skinwalkers. Skinwalkers. Yeah, that's but, what we were talking about. It was, but who yeah. has ever seen a skinwalker? So yeah, I think the story behind those is they. They look like a deer and then, or they look like an animal and then they turn into something else. Yeah. But I don't know if it's that or aliens or crazy people or what it is. See, that's where, where I'm like, you know, I'd, to, to think of a, a person to go out there and like mutilate, you know, a cow like that. You're like, man, that's one fucked up person. So I'd like, I'd rather think it's aliens. It's like, uh, aliens, they're just doing research. That's just science for them. Yeah. So, I'd, you know, I'd rather be like, they, oh, it's just wild alien story rather than, it was like, wow, there's some really crazy people out there going and. Researching on cow. If I could talk to him, I'd ask. Specific yeah. organs. I'll ask him next time I see him. Thank you. Please, <laughs> please let us know. Thanks, Clint. That was what Maddie said. <laughs> of all the questions I'll ask, but what are you doing to them cows? <laughs> <laughs> Huh. Yeah, I don't know. We were, we sat there for quite a while and talked about like what it could be. We were just those like skinwalkers or satanic cults or yeah, the cult thing is pretty interesting. Where it's repeated in multiple locations where they need something from these cows, but 
I don't know, like if you killed a cow, and I've never heard of it, like a bullet hole or anything. Yeah, and that that's you know, the same yeah. thing and it's I've like, heard. Like why? Well, yeah, especially and if you're starting cutting organs out, it's like there should be blood somewhere. Yeah. And they don't care that they get caught because they don't take the rest of it. So that doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Like if, if I was going to steal a cow from somebody, I would not leave it dead no. on their place. You know, if I, I wanted to. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the ones here, like they, they sent them off and they like necropsied the bodies and like blood work came back or like, you know, in tissue samples. Mm-hmm. It's like nothing like super off. Right. It wasn't like, Oh, we didn't find a bullet hole, but there was whatever tranquilizer stuff in there that, killed them you know someone shot him with a tranquilizer gun mm-hmm. kind of deal like there was nothing no red flags through that kind of deal so yeah it's just interesting but th- and then like the whole human side of it it's like what humans are like that perfect and precise right. to, and, to get mean, in there and then do that and get out and not leave a single trace you know no no footprints nothing sneak up on a cow in the middle of a field that's like I know you can do it, but it's quite difficult. Yeah, not spill any blood either. Yeah. And not have a tranquilizer. Yeah. Weird stuff. Don't know how to explain it. Like thinking about it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what are your, you know, paranormal experiences? Like I said, I've seen one light go straight in the sky and then one recurring dream. I have not had shit. So. I don't know if I've talked about this, but my older brother saw some weird lights in the sky consistently for like a week in the same spot and he doesn't know if it's a satellite or what it is but evidently it stopped he doesn't see it anymore which is there cows missing from that area <laughs> probably probably <laughs> probably some elk or some deer missing or something but yeah, he said it would move like a i don't know kind of like zipping around and it wasn't a firefly i mean it was last month so there's no bugs or nothing nothing that looked like a satellite or a drone or you know one of them little remote control drones didn't look like anything like that i don't know he said he quit seeing it which kind of sucks i was wishing they'd touch down and tell him the secrets to everything or something but i don't know there's always some crazy story here from somebody that's where i'm at too it just sucks because i don't have any stories about it i really want stories about it Mm -hmm. it seems like they pick certain people too to interact with Whatever it is, if it's ghosts or aliens or, you know, whatever paranormal activity you're talking about, it seems like some people are more susceptible to it. I don't know though. Yeah, I feel like I'm probably not, probably not that guy. I feel I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not. I guess I'm not either. If you're looking for it, obviously you're gonna see more, and some of it's probably missed sightings and whatnot. But I don't know. I think if you're kind of open to it, people will. Uh, You'll notice more crazy things that happen. I'm open to it, but I don't want no. I don't want any cliff notes, teasers, like contact, <laughs> right? Like if I'm gonna know of aliens, I want to know about aliens. Not like <laughs> light in the sky. It's like I want to shake hands with one of the little green men. Yeah, kind of thing. It's like I can keep a secret pretty well. <laughs> you I tell mean, us the whole yeah. podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, right? Yeah. Well, now they're not gonna come say hi. Damn it. Yeah, they know what we're thinking, so it's like. Sorry, Cole, but I don't think it's... Maybe they want to be interviewed. I hope so. I hope they just walk right through the door right there, like just through (laughs) the window, so... Dude, I'd scream like a little girl. (laughs) 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 You're all pretty brave until something like that happens. That would be very weird. I don't know what I would do. 
I'd probably shit myself for yeah. sure. Yeah, but grab some headphones. Sit down. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah. I'd be going for the couch sword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm out. <laughs> Dang, nor I have to move it now. <laughs> no other uh, ghost stories or anything like that, though? Nothing weird you've ever encountered? Not that I can think of. Nothing that's really really striking striking me. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Like you've talked about the sleep paralysis stuff, and there was one time where I'd... Like I thought I saw people. Well, really, I don't think he's talking about it on here. Outside my bedroom window, it kind of started happening after we did. Yeah, maybe the first one after the first one. I don't know. Yeah, and then we had quite an issue with this thing. So, oh yeah, everything's gone. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I can tell a story. I Might guess. Might be able to expand on it. Yeah, like I don't know. We uh, my girlfriend's house is really haunted, so I'm always pretty worried about ghosts and whatnot over there. But there was one night, and this has never happened before, but. Uh, was sleeping and i looked up kind of what it was and it's called sleep paralysis where your brain wakes up but your body doesn't and i don't know there's somebody walking in to the room and there's shouldn't have roommates or anything and they open up the door and it's like these shadow figures of people and they walk over and they like push me into the bed and i start freaking out obviously and maddie wakes up but i'm just like kind of whimpering <laughs> kind of like a little dog and she's like, you know, she's had it happen. So she's just like, oh, you just kind of got to get through it and learn from it, I guess. But I'd like close my eyes and I'd open them again. And there'd be like aliens standing there and close my eyes again, wiggle around some more. And eventually it's like, well, this isn't real. And then you start breathing again and then you wake up. But I didn't really think it was, I thought it was really weird and scary, but uh, it happened again, probably a week later. And I didn't open my eyes because I was like, I'll freak out if I see aliens again, which it's dream, hallucination, something, you know, didn't take any, anything before bed or anything. I, t- I don't, yeah, didn't even take melatonin or nothing that night. So, but same thing, got pushed into the bed, squirming, was a little more calm this time and woke up, but it's still pretty freaky when you feel somebody push you into a bed and you can't move. Have you had it happen again since you told them to basically fuck off? No, not really. Um, I've had some weird stuff happen where I have like very vivid dreams where I'm in my bed laying there and something will happen. But oh, yeah, like the one time my girlfriend walked into the door and she left the door open and this big like shadowy figure figure walked in behind her and grabbed her and then I was like, nope, not real, and then it stopped <laughs> and there was nobody in there. But <laughs> Tori just had one too, and well, he'll have to tell it. But basically, he was—he woke up, and there was a dog barking, and he was yelling at his dog. But his dog was on the bed, and he could hear the barking underneath the bed. So he yells again, like "Shut up!" And then somebody standing in the corner was like, "That's my dog," and I don't remember the rest really. But he said he talked to him or something and saw this shadow figure i don't know he was talking to him well this is a new one yeah not good kind of kind of infiltrated our house a little bit so yeah but at the same time my girlfriend was here and she saw somebody walk into our room don't, don't say that not in this house <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was they've it was infiltrated freaky. so yeah and i think tori woke up and on the other side of his king bed, all the shit on his nightstand flew off. And yeah, he, he was like, one. yeah, it was like three in the morning. And Maddie was like, yeah, I saw 
saw somebody come into our room at like three in the morning so pretty freaky they both had the exact same thing happen yeah that one was time weird. i didn't need to know about that yeah that's all right <laughs> i was talking to my little brother about it this weekend he was saying yeah i had somebody walk in my room once just a guy standing in the doorway just big dark shadowy figure and he <laughs> he freaked out and he he said he was awake but he just disappeared and i was like oh See, well, that's pretty wild denny did that it's pretty much the same thing just blacked out denton yeah. Walked into my room, <laughs> yeah. tried to the bathroom, tried yeah. to piss in the trash can. Yeah. It was a ghost of Denton. Yeah. Denton was. Like, what are you doing, buddy? Messing with us. He talked back. I woke up. Yeah. Same thing, right? Yeah, I feel like the only thing that I can think of was like one time growing up where it's like I woke up because I had to pee, mm-hmm. right? I like glanced out the window, just enough moonlight. It looked like there was two guys standing outside the room, like outside of the house just standing there looking in shadows right shadowy mm-hmm. figures and i was i mean i was middle school or younger absolutely terrified and i just laid there yeah. until the sun came up i did not go back <laughs> really? to sleep just laid there and i i swear that's probably the closest my bladder's ever been to exploding i was like you just had to piss like a racehorse but i would not move mm-hmm. just laid there mm-hmm. till the sun rose and I, but and then yeah sun rose shadows disappeared it was like that was that but that's the only like weird weird deal that that i can that i can remember that's you know yeah. similar to what you guys have experienced yeah mm-hmm. I, I know that they've infiltrated the house i think honestly i think luckily i'm in the garage and i like it's sealed off from the house like there's a rubber strip sealing <laughs> everything from the house and i lock it so i think it happens a lot like when your doors aren't locked or something I don't know. And they're cracked. You, you don't, don't, don't want to leave your door open, though. I don't know no, that. not really. I don't like that. Just in general. The more I've gotten older, that's how I've been. It's just like, okay, so there's just a dark abyss out there. And yeah. Let's just shut the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not worry about it. But the only thing I had is, it didn't happen to me, but uh, when my father and his siblings were in our house at home, he had five siblings in him, so six kids. They were in the basement playing pool, and the parents were in town or something. I don't know what it was, but they they heard someone open the front door, walk inside, walk up in through the kitchen, and slam the bathroom door and the bedroom door. Mm-hmm. And they went up there, and there was no one. Mm-hmm. That was about the only thing that. Well, her brother had a story just like that, but there was like a homeless guy that was living around the block, so he'd come <laughs> and use his toilet at night when he didn't think he was there. <laughs> Right, I'd always freak out. He had his door locked, but the guy would go and he'd flush and leave and <laughs> act like nothing happened. It's like some of this stuff's explained, but I don't know. Like some of it's just. I mean, super even if freaky. you get like twenty percent of it, that's not explained. That's still yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Like everything that's happening in this house right now is very unexplainable. And yeah, because there's four of us here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were watching. Uh, if you guys have ever seen Mountain Monsters this tv show like ghost hunters but it's all these appalachian guys and they go out into the dark and they chase the jackson county werewolf or whatever and it's it's so funny i mean the whole thing is staged but there's some things in there like ah it's kind of hard to fake but it's just comedy is all it is they have these redneck dudes and they're running around in a cornfield what was that (laughs) a couple of redneck my next marine guide it's it's funny it's on hulu if you guys check it out some stuff similar to that where they're like hunting bigfoot or whatever and it's just hillbillies out there beating trees with sticks and just howling and screaming you're like i'm gonna call them in Mm -hmm. like oh gosh Mm -hmm. it just cracks you up 
yeah the one we were watching that was so funny was uh they had a haunted house and evidently the mother ate the kids or something in the 50s and that part's real and then they're like if you go and the little boy had a bell and you ring the bell in the middle of the cornfield at night something happens and this guy's in there by himself with a camera and there's something to run around the cornfield with him and i don't know it's it's i don't know i know it's fake and produced and everything but it was pretty freaky though there was i don't know like all these folklore stories about some crazy mom that'll that'll get you if there's you know the right time of year or whatever and it's very fun you, it's definitely worth watching because you just laugh because all of these manly men are out there and but what the hell was that and they'll build a trap and it'll almost catch the monster and they don't set up cameras on the trap and i don't know it's very very good comedy we'll have to start watching this it's good well yeah. just sit on the couch and bs <laughs> my little brother garrett he's 19 and he's like this is why i don't like checking heifers at night <laughs> he's scared that the random bigfoot monster they made up is gonna get him but it's still fun still fun watching I guess I did hear one night I was sitting because whatever we did our barn right and I lived mm-hmm. in there for a year. I was sitting there and it, the only other two things that would make this sound would be a mountain lion or a fox. But who knows? Because mm-hmm. I went out there, I turned all the lights on in every crow and everything. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. But I was sitting in bed and it was like 11:30 or midnight and whatever. You got cameras on checking animals and I was up just looking at them once and I just hear. It. <laughs> I'm like, well, well, I'm not going outside. Can we get that sound again? Just uh, I don't know if I can make it. <laughs> confirm the sound. Yeah. But it was just like a super loud, high-pitched screeching. Hmm. Very strange. When I stay at my parents' house in the summer, it's right at a little cabin right next to a pond, and there's sandhill cranes and blue herons making all crazy noises. And I'm just like, yeah, it's just the birds. It's definitely not Bigfoot out there, you know. So you make a lot of excuses for things like that, like the mountain lions. Most of them sound like a scream. Some people say they sound like a woman screaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's pretty freaky. Actually, I made a, a Wendigo sculpture, which is like a skinwalker in college for the Museum of the Rockies. And I found out about 99% way through that you're not supposed to say that word or depict them in any way. So maybe Wendigo? That- yeah, that word. It's like <laughs> well, I hesitated, but I didn't yeah, know what word you were talking yeah. about. It's uh, but the story we got told was it's just the boogeyman, right? You tell the little kids that so they don't wander off into the like woods. The, the three words you say into a mirror and it shows up. I guess it's like the native version of it. But it's like it makes sense where you tell the little children when you're living out in the woods that you don't go out there after dark or in the winter because the boogeyman will get you, and it's all about. You know, you just don't want your kid to run off in the dark and have something else happen yeah, to him. Mountain you know? lions running around. So it's a good story. It's a good idea to have a, a boogeyman out in the woods. Yeah. But I don't know. With all this crazy cow mutilation and whatnot, maybe they're onto something. Tori's got the cool one about mountain lions. I don't, one know, I don't know if that one's saved or not, but. No, I don't know. Just so. random sound, right? So we did this school trip, like senior year of high school, went down to Costa Rica, and it was this whole, like, science-oriented research trip which was a really cool deal super awesome opportunity but first night we're there like we fly in we take this puddle jumper from the capital city to this little peninsula and then drive in just like gravel roads 
to this like research station in the middle of the jungle it was a first night and it's like not super late everybody's kind of like going to bed it's maybe you know it got dark pretty late there so maybe like 9 30 10 o'clock just getting dark and these howler monkeys start up <laughs> and they are close and there's a lot of them and they're really fucking loud and they and you, you know same kind of thing right the sound that never heard before in my life we're late we're sitting in this hut right and it's like concrete walls that are like seven foot tall and then a foot of space just open and then the roof and you're just sleeping in these bug nets and we're laying there and it is night one and these things just fire off probably like a dozen of them is what it sounded like and they're just hooping and hollering up in the trees and you're like i'm in a foreign country in the jungle and this is the first thing i hear is i'm trying to go to bed and i'm sleeping in a hut no doors just a bug net and a sleeping bag i was like this is terrifying <laughs> absolutely terrifying what do they sound like I couldn't even. I couldn't even. <laughs> I think it's a I, giant whooping it's noise. It's just a or big something. whooping, howling, mm-hmm. whatever. But they are loud. And they were very close to where we were camped. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was like a hey, welcome. Welcome to the jungle. But it was a little, it's more explainable than yours. But it was still one of those things where it's like, ah, puckered you up a little bit. You're like right. a little on edge after that. The jungle's freaky because you can't see anything. Yeah. Maybe a jaguar or something right behind a big tree or something. Yeah. And and th- that's the funny thing is we were out there and we were working with big cats, like camera traps and monitoring behavior. The cats, I wasn't worried about those at all. <laughs> but the monkeys? Yeah. The monkeys? I've seen Planet of the Apes. I, was yeah. like, I know what happens. <laughs> no, I guess another scheduled thing for me would be, like I'd go out at like... I'd wake up or something and having like a like six month old pup or something, and you gotta let him out and go to the bathroom. You know, like our yard, you can, they can just wander, and I'll be able to see him walk off like sixty, seventy feet in the distance, a hundred feet or whatever it was, a hundred yards, or depend on what was out that night. But then just to see their ears go straight up. And then them book it back to the house. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, so we're gonna lock every door and board mm-hmm. every window and. <laughs> mm-hmm. But just shit like that, it's like, jeez. It's not very good to be a human at night. Mm-mm. No, you're at a disadvantage when you can't see. Yep. Big disadvantage. Yeah, I definitely think the dogs can see see and sense things that we can't. Yeah. And it's it could have been a mountain lion or it could have been you know some other predator or something. could have been a rabbit, for goodness sakes. Yeah. But, but it's weird when like a dog sees something that you don't. You're just like, oh, all right. We're just going to pretend like we didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, nothing else. No, I think that's I think that's about all. Well, about damn it, all. damn it. I anyways, haven't, haven't had any wild experiences. We'll see what. I mean, living out of town in Heisham now, so that kind of opens the door for. You should wild just go outside stuff. and sit at night. See what you hear. And the river. That's what you hear in oh. the train. That's about it. There's right? a train that goes through Heisham. Yeah. Straight through Heisham. Yeah. It goes right through town, but... I've never actually been to Heisham. You're not missing much. I suppose not. Mm. But it's mm. a nice little place. Yeah. Kind of by the interstate, too, you have that, but... Yeah. Yeah, just far enough off the interstate, though, that that's, you know, most people don't. You don't see... It's not like Forsyth, where you drive through it, right? Yeah. It's on right off the interstate. Yeah. You can't see it from the interstate, really, so... You don't have a reason to stop. You probably won't. Yeah. 
Yeah, I probably won't ever. No. Nope. <laughs> well, thank you. I didn't want to hang out anyway, uh, so that's no. all right. <laughs> I'm sure I'll stop at some point. But, well, thanks, Cole, for being a part of it. Yeah. Thanks for having me having me on as a yeah anytime as a suspect. I mm-hmm. think it's always a good time to do this. Yeah. Um. Or it's always fun. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But. Thank you. Thanks, Clint. Again. On to the next one. Hoorah. <laughs>